Hi, this is Fox 2's Roop Raj on the Thursday, May 11th edition of Let It Rip. We talked about the Oxford School District uh, finding a report that was done by an independent contractor about how safe the school is now. We're digging in and talking to some experts about that. Also, artificial intelligence. How far has it gone? Is it too much, too soon? We're taking a look at how actors are concerned about their jobs being at risk and more. And with that, it's time to let it rip. Knock, knock, who's there? Pizza magic. That voice you're hearing. Your tummy say thank you. Your mouth say, hmm. Might not be a real person. Okay, I am. But tech leaders around the world are concerned about the rise in AI technology. Voice cloning from your favorite musician to your family members. We're talking about the harm this could cause and if we can get the toothpaste back in the tube. But first. The first report from a review into Oxford Community Schools released. It says they're doing some things right, but more needs to be done. So do those suggestions go far enough? Attorney Ben Johnson and a local former superintendent debate starting now. And time now to let it rip with attorney Ven Johnson, who's representing victims and survivors in the civil suits over the shooting, as well as former Madison High School District Superintendent Randy Speck, who also had a child in Oxford schools. And of course, Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton. Good to see all of you. Thanks for joining us today. So we have this new report that you have in front of you that just came out that has basically, hey, these are the best practices, the improvements that Oxford schools has made after the shooting. Uh, let's look at some of the talking points over here about what they say they created. Uh, they said they created a centralized reporting system. Good, right? Developing intervention options, training staff on threat and suicide assessments, and giving students immediate access to counselor and mental health pros. Uh, when you take a look at all of this, first of all, Ben, these are things that some people would say should have been in place before the shooting. Are these essentials that should have been there before? Well, the answer is of course, but what you also see in this 179-page report is what the, although the best practices are currently being used, and I put that in air quotes, sorry folks, but you see that they're still not doing enough, even with the best practices, and the report goes on to talk about all the things that still need to be done that weren't being done, such as in two out of 44 cases that were being investigated. This is, this is after the shooting, after the shooting with the new policies, suicide investigator intervention teams only reported asking about guns and firearms two times out of 44, Charlie, I know you saw this, and then in threat assessment, meaning where they're not threatening suicide, but outwardly threatening, uh, threatening other people, three times out of 20, they asked about guns. Add those two together, folks. Five times out of 64, 8% of the time, group, after all this happened, and they still don't ask about guns. What are these great procedures if you're not smart enough to ask about a gun that created this tragedy? Randy, when you hear that right now, looking at that small percentage, 8%, um, ask about the gun. Don't you think that's one of the basics? Yeah, it, it, it is. And every day I drive my daughter off and she goes into Oxford High School. And when she goes in, I believe she's safe. I go in because I know those teachers. I know folks that are in there. And I believe they're taking care of those students. I talk to teachers that I work with all the time down in Hamtramck and in Detroit schools. And one of the things that they worry about from time to time, and, and we are moving people past this because we have to. You have to ask about guns. You have to, you have to look in, in lockers. You have to do research reasonable searches from time to time. You have to get police involved. And we're past the days of worrying about whether or not we hurt anyone's feelings. 
right? But Randy, when you hear that 8% mark there, when it comes to asking about guns, you're sending your child there every day. Does that concern you? Well, it, it does. There's probably a bigger picture to all of it, and I'm not in that particular building, and I'm not with those in those particular conversations. I'm in other conversations, though, that I have with that I see with teachers and with students uh, in other schools, and and I and I see the the kind of work that they do to make sure that our kids are safe. But on, on that point, this this report was done after the shooting, nine the tragic shooting. Okay, nine so you got eight percent nine months after. What were the percentage of asking about guns before the shooting? Well, that report's coming was, out. Well, we know well, what, what that report's going to be. Well, well, less than eight. We know what it was on eleven twenty nine and eleven thirty. It was zero. It was zero. And if they'd Who done that one thing, guys, and here's the <laughs> let's say Ether Crumley lied to them, then go to the next page of this report. Again, has nothing to do with the shooting. They say because right. new policies, everything's better. How about this? In every single instance where there's a threat assessment, again, outward threats versus and suicide, get the SRO. That's the absolute security research. Right. The person with a gun, there were two officer. of them on site. And don't forget the liaison officer, Officer Leward, from Oakland County Sheriff Department, not in the building at the time, but was there that day. All three have guns. They didn't even bring him in. So what does this report say? Oh, yeah. In every one of these from now on, look for guns, ask for guns, and by the way, bring in the people with the guns. Randy, does it concern you that till this day, even though we know that an Ethan Crumbly's backpack was a gun? We know that he had those pictures that were discovered he sent to the office right and then when they go to the office say all right go back to class and in that backpack was a gun right now today in oxford they're not searching backpacks when a student walks in the door is that upsetting well, they, they're, they're searching backpack from the standpoint of their AI evolved system that goes through. All the students, like again, when I drop my daughter off every day, they all have clear backpacks. They're walking through. Are, are there some who are getting through? I, I don't know. But they're all walking One through. All, all, all of those, all of they've got three different of the evolved systems, and they're all going through those systems. I've gone through that system. That system is designed to detect firearms and things like that. So from a standpoint of a safety standpoint, do I, do I feel like my daughter safe from that technology standpoint? I do. It's always going to be whether or not we as individuals are taking time to ask additional questions from counselors. Listen, from, from Columbine on, we've had 380 school shootings in this country. 355,000 students have been affected by gunfire in our schools in those last 20 plus years. Again, we are past the day of not being able to ask questions. We have to ask questions. Well, you got to make people uncomfortable, but I mean in terms of searching the backpack, we know that you, can, you get someone who's angry, who's unstable, they're going to go out of their way to try to do something to hurt people when they want to. Not just in Oxford, everywhere. Should more be done in schools right now, Ben, in terms of searching through those backpacks, not allowing certain backpacks to come in at all, whether they're clear or not? Well, the, the, the sad reality is, yes, we need more. And Randy just made a great point, and that is we need this training. And this is one of the things the report also talks about, guys, is we need training for threat assessment and suicide for everybody, staff members, teachers, hello, teachers, coaches, cafeteria workers, custodians. Why? We drop our kids off. And that's where they stay for the next eight hours. Everyone needs to know, but more importantly, the report also says, everyone needs to be searched who's having a threat assessment or a suicide assessment, just like Ethan Crumbly. But how does a threat, as, how does a threat assessment, I wanna ask you from a legal point of view, what does a threat assessment really look like? And then from an educational point of view, I wanna ask you, Randy, what does it look like? Because I'm curious to know whether or not that threat assessment was in place, whether or not Ethan Crumbly would get through. Okay. Ben. On that day, 
they believed Ethan Crumley was a suicide risk. A high suicide risk is how they testified in their preliminary exam of the criminal. And then, of course, in my civil deposition, they weren't worried about anything at all. So we'll leave that there. But the fact of the matter is they were doing a suicide assessment. That's where they went that day. And what it does, it, the answer is legally, Rube, it doesn't matter. When, if you talk to the experts, when you're talking about outwardly threats from, of violence versus inward threat of violence, suicide, there's a thin line between where some can go. You still need to look well, at a backpack. But, but if you're going to hurt yourself, if, you, if you're willing to hurt yourself, wouldn't you in some cases be willing to hurt others? Randy, does it yes. concern you in terms of the threat assessment that's now being asked to be put in place, that's in place now in Oxford? What does that look like from an educational point of view, and do you think it's enough? Well, do you know this entire conversation, we haven't mentioned math or science or reading. We haven't mentioned social studies. We haven't mentioned any of the educational parts because all of a sudden that becomes secondary. We're just finishing MSTEP testing here in the state. All of that becomes secondary because of the things that we're asking our teachers to do. Yes, we're asking our teachers, we're asking our students to keep their eyes open. See something, say something. We're asking them to come into classrooms. The reality classrooms. is that people, students in these schools are afraid, especially after they all these shootings. Be. So we can't get to the math and the merits of what they're supposed to learn it, if it, they're it's afraid. It's our new reality. I'm not saying school. that it's not. But, but no. I wouldn't poo-poo the report, though. I think this report is actually very good. There are very good assessments that are made. We need now in this world to talk about threat assessments and analyze them to eliminate or minimize, can't eliminate, but minimize the risk. But we have to be shooter. right every time, right? Because right. we have to be right every time. And every parent deserves us to be right every time. They deserve for us to ask additional questions. They deserve for that teacher, when they are trying to do their academic subjects and to teach, to, to recognize if a but kid what, needs what does, what does threat assessment look like moving forward in this terrible world that these kids have to grow up in? What does it look like from an academic point of view? Well, from education standpoints, it means we have threat assessment teams. We have people, we have social workers, we have more mental health Do they look out for students who seem troubled? How does it work? Yeah, absolutely. They're getting referred. They're having conversations. They're having conversations with parents. They're having conversations with mental health professionals. You know, it was just recently in the state of Michigan that you could have a qualified mental health professional who could have their own private practice, but they couldn't work in schools. Now those things have changed because we realize we need the need. The overarching question that, from a legal point of view, Charlie and Ben, I'd like you to chime in on this, is the fact that the attorney general offered to do an investigation on Oxford twice twice and the school district said no thank you we're gonna hire guidepost which is an out outside company it's not what they said Rube they made him wait for nine months they made him wait for nine months and then they decided after all this public absolute outrage which the public should have been and I give everybody in Oxford credit for not listening to this nonsense because the insurance company for the school district dictated what to do and what not to do by way of a threat that if you don't listen to what we tell you to do then we will not pay you we will not pay any judgment or settlement or anything it's called a cooperation well, clause they, 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 don't have, they don't have to pay anything now anyway well, just threw your case out well sure Charlie the, the new right the new reports but, coming out later on this summer the new yeah. report is not going to be about what has been done but what happened before and during the shooting is this going to be a bombshell yeah, I think it is. Actually, I think it is, yes. And I think you're going to say that whatever threat assessment exists in this port, I think it's going to be minimized to almost zero. And I think that that's going to, and Ben Johnson of the world will love that one. Now, whether he can do this legally, I think we're going to need a change of the law. Because I think you have a school district that is now in this land now. We know about threat assessments. We know to analyze the risk. There's been data. 
And if a school district doesn't do that, I think there's going to be an exception to governmental immunity that'll probably be carved out, and this will be the new gross negligence that will be more, and it'll put the school district on notice, and they're going to have to pay. Randy, but not does this report put a parent's mind to ease at all? I, I don't know that it does. I mean, the, the, there, there's not been a case of any of those school shootings that I mentioned that it didn't completely destroy and divide a town. It has, it has, it has changed Oxford forever. Right, and so um, parents want to feel safe. They want to have a report that says everything's being done every day, all the time, for all of our students. And you know, when we send our kids to school every day, we we are believing and wanting to believe that that's happening. Randy, we thank you for your time today. We hope that you both will come back and talk about the next report that comes out that says what happened before the shooting, uh, the shooting and after the shooting. Ven Johnson, thank you very much for your thank time you as well. Charlie and I are back on the other side of the break. And when we come back, artificial intelligence has dominated the headlines because of what it can do and its capabilities. But as a lot of people worried about what it can do in a bad way, is it going too far? And is there any way we can turn this car around? That debate rolls on next. Back now, I'll let it rip, digging deeper into some of the concerns over artificial intelligence with now, with us now, rather, is Dr. See, an AI robot would have gotten that right. Uh, Marwan Kesantini, computer science and engineering professor and chair at Oakland University. Also, actor Eric Wydra and Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton. We thank you both for joining us here. Charlie, always good to be with you, my friend. All right, so here we go. Let's let it rip, talking about artificial intelligence. Uh, how concerned are you, Eric, as an actor, when you see the... AI world explosion. Sure. No, that's a great question, Ruben. I'm very concerned, and I've been talking to a lot of my friends who are actors as well, and it's truly frightening because think about it, we are in a people business, and it's such a collaborative business uh, to be a creative person and to be able to act, and it's such a privilege, and it's such a dream for people, but suddenly with technology, and as much as technology is great and really helps us, it is scary that it could replace us, that you know maybe my appearance tonight, I can be digitized, you can get enough of my voice that you could create a digital Eric Wydra who could be me, so they don't, you know, a casting director or producer doesn't need to hire me in the future. They can just digitize me. That is, and that's really a lot. And it's, a, it's a lot cheaper, but it's not necessarily the right thing to do. Correct. And over the course of time, it's not a tested method that we know works. Dr. Kessentini over at uh, Oakland University. Uh, whew, this is a tough one, ethics-wise. Talk about the ethical issues and concerns that you have about AI. Yeah, so you can see AI as either an amazing medicine with dangerous side effect, or you can see it as probably dangerous medicine with probably some amazing side effects. So, so basically, the main danger is about the ethics, because how we are using all the data that we are collecting about us, in our cell phones, in our cars, everywhere. So you can use this data in either way, positive or negative. You can replicate voices. Uh, That's use it dangerous, isn't it? Of course. And to there's replicate a, whole, a voice. Yeah, a whole deep fake area where you can actually do everything with the voice. So the question is how we can educate the current generation, the next generation on using data and AI in an ethical way. Everybody talks nowadays about chat GPT. We can see it in a great way. You can generate examples. You can do your work in a few seconds. But at the same time, you can use it for plagiarism, cheating, uh, claiming issue and intellectual property issues. Charlie, so. I want to get to you in a moment, but I got to show everyone a clip that we yeah. think is, is, is really speaks to the ethical boundary that is somehow being breached here. There are people in the East who are actually using AI to help mourn the loss of a loved one. Here's what they're doing. They're actually saying, hey, if you lose a loved one, we can put goggles on you and you can pretend to meet them once again using their voice. Take a look at this. Ah! 
Does that make you sick to your stomach, Dr. Cosentini? Or is oh. that just technology in play? Yeah, augmented virtual reality is used everywhere nowadays. Like, you know, in manufacturing and telemedicine, like, you know, probably you don't need to go to a doctor. You just need to, to, to use augmented virtual reality. It can even predict probably what even probably the next disease that you might get. So but the ethical issue, Charlie Langton, here is the fact that you have someone who is, isn't getting closure from the loss of a child. In that case, it was a mother who lost her child. Instead, the pain just continues because you're extending it through technology. Right. Is that just creepy to you or is it wrong? You're asking me about ethics and I'm a lawyer, right? All right. I get it. Um, <laughs> well, as a person, what do you yeah. think? No, listen, I think the technology is here to stay. And I think that it is only going to get better. And I think that smart people are going to have to figure out a way to use the, this technology in a positive way, ethically. Now, that clip didn't necessarily bother me if the person understands what it is they're looking at. So it's it's we have to embrace this. As far as an actor, I don't think a real director director is going to cast some robot in a major role. Well, now, in your voice, can you do a radio or maybe, maybe they can. But again, ethics and the law, law is usually the last thing to catch up with anything. The law is going to have to say, if I take your voice and use it for my podcast or my t t broadcast, I've got to pay you. And if I don't, you sue me. So that's how we do it. And that's what SAG-AFTRA looks out for in terms there of advocating. Eric, what Absolutely. is it that are the main concerns right now when it comes to people using voice and imagery? Definitely. So as you said, SAG-AFTRA, which is the union that represents professional actors and broadcasters nationwide, they're really concerned about this. In fact, the National Board met recently and issued a statement that if there is any sort of AI use, like I think um, James Earl Jones basically said that his voice can be used in perpetuity for Darth Vader in the future, but that you really can't take the human out of the performance, and even if it is some sort of digital AI-generated voice, that there does need to be compensation either to the actor, to the actor's estate. And I think also as a performer, it does concern me, Charlie, as you said, so they could take my voice. Maybe, you know, morally, do they use my voice to say something that I wouldn't say, uh, to make statements that I'm not a fan of or I'm not in favor of? Um, that's, I think, well, that's you need the, to be careful to protect yourself from that, too. That's the deep fake stuff that Dr. Casentino was talking about. But in terms of the acting, take a look at this pizza commercial uh, that someone popped in and said, hey, it looks a little 1980s, but they said, why don't we do a recent ad using, uh, hey, buy a pizza, and let's put that in with no real actors. This is all artificial intelligence, and they came up with this. Are you ready for best pizza of life? Bring friends down to Pepperoni Hug Spot. Our chefs make pizza with heart and special touch. Cheese, pepperoni, vegetable, and more secret things. Need delivery? Pizzas come fast. Knock, knock, who's there? Pizza magic. Eat pepperoni hug spot pizza. Your tummy say thank you. Your mouth say, mmm. Pepperoni hug spot. It's like family, but with more cheese. It's like family, but with terror. That's the scariest thing I've seen. I mean, first of all, I would never order a pizza from a place where the delivery guy was knocking up to my door like that. And when you eat the pizza, you look like a freak. I mean, it didn't look normal. But Eric, this is the beginning of it. How refined are they going to get, and how concerned are you that they'll get more refined sure. and all of a sudden they can replace commercial actors? Definitely, yeah. I mean, watching that spot right now, it looks terrible. I think the technology's not there. The people look fake. Right. Uh, it just didn't look great. Because I really think what really connects people, whether you're watching a TV show, whether you're watching a movie, or even a commercial, is the human factor. Like, that didn't look human. That didn't look like a real slice of life. I uh, had to, you know, yeah. take a little riff on a cheesy. pizza there. It was very cheesy, it's a very for sure. Cheesy commercial. However, if the technology does 
does evolve and they can make it that it looks real and it almost has a little more emotion, absolutely. Uh, none of us want to be out of out of business. Dr. Casentini, uh, tonight the Lions schedule was announced and they asked all the people who were involved with that Lions schedule drop. Hey, can we just use your voice and we'll type in a script and they and be able to broadcast it? And it happened at eight o'clock tonight. So it's already happening. Exactly, it's already happening, and that's the future of AI as well. Because the future of AI, how we can integrate emotion, context, and making things more personalized. Because when you use, for example, ChatGPT, you can ask ChatGPT to write an email, but I want that email to be personalized in the way and the style how I write emails. And this is exist even nowadays. I can actually uh, take as a database all the emails that you wrote before, and I can replicate an email in whatever context you want based on your own personal style. And that's basically the current state and also the future of AI and why things would become dangerous because nowadays you can use AI, like we have seen this advertisement, but you can see it's still a bit fake, but in the near future, no, everything would be more natural, whether verbal. Charlie, you, you go out on stories every single day and when you hop out of the Fox 2 truck, and he's never going to admit this, but people love Charlie Langton, they run up to him, no matter what story, he's covering a restaurant opening or he's covering a tragedy. That's why I'm all in favor of AI. But, you know, no, you're not. No, you, but but the, fact, the fact that when you hop out of a truck, people come to you to tell their human stories to another human being that they relate to, are you afraid we're going to lose that? Uh, I, I think a little bit. I think that's a good question. I think it's a good point. Um, and that's why I think that you know you have to use AI in the right way. For example, if I need to know about the budget, maybe I can just type in a few buzzwords and I can get a summary of the budget in about two seconds. Now, I'm going to use that as background. I'm not going to use it in my, re in my report that here it is. I'm not going to have a script that I'm going to use. So you have to develop ways to use it in a positive way. That doesn't steal, that doesn't make, we don't want to lose real actors. And there is a human factor that we need. And I think that we have to, that commercial was terrible. Yeah, so it was, was gonna, Whoever paid for that, is, that's the power of Well, that was an experiment but, someone put together yeah. just to show us where, where we're at. But there's, it's getting there. But, but they I think can advance I, it, right? I think you need to use it in a positive way. And I think we're developing it. And then we'll get the law to make sure that nobody's stealing everything, your voice, your ability, your, your coursework, for example. But Dr. Kisantini, when you say, obviously this is the beginning, that's very rudimentary, that pizza ad, but everything's moving so quickly at like meteor speed. So what if in three years they perfect it and now they have faked actors in that same pizza commercial and now people are ordering pizzas and the guy at Domino's or Little Caesars is going, I don't know why I have to pay for an advertising department. Are we on their way to that or can legislation stop this? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's from different perspective. We talked about the legal perspective, but also universities should play a big role here because basically we have to train the current next generation on on the ethics of AI. And we need to make people more responsible to ask themselves, am I allowed to use this data or not? Even companies, because companies, they have to compete. They have to get their AI products to the market to make things more realistic. But that could violate a lot of data ethics, data bias that could be generated, whether even nowadays we are using AI actually to do interviews, basically do screening of applications, that, and that's can introduce a bias because that's depend on what data well, you are using. But Dr. Casentini, anyone who's hired someone before will tell you even one interview isn't enough to know the character of a person. So certainly AI can't be the answer to that, right? Of course, it can be the answer for that, but we have seen that there is a lot of issues related to 
the bias that could be introduced there. Because as a human, we could be biased as well. A lot of people sure. are blaming AI for that. But let's remember, us as a human, we are also We also biased. have our own biases. Eric, I want to get you the last word for this segment. Uh, as an actor, explain to us why humanity still matters in acting. Why can't we just have a deep fake? If we can deep fake a Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, sure. why do we need the actual Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt? Go ahead. Yeah. Really, because I think what Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, or any actor brings to a role is their human, you know, is their experiences, is their humanity. You, you can't get that from a computer. Like all of us, when we're looking at a script, we're looking at a role, we're not playing ourselves, but we're bringing elements of ourselves to that role. And we're trying to humanize it. And that's what I don't think computers can do. So pain that you felt in your, in your life, yes. when you're expressing that on stage or on television, that pain can be expressed only by a human being, not by a computer, yes? Correct. And the audience picks up on it and it really moves the audience. It's nuanced. A lot of people will say it's not it about whether you get the job done, it's how people feel once you did the job. Mm -hmm. When we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to look at some final thoughts with our panel. Final thoughts, Eric. I would say in this age of AI, we still have to remember it's writers, it's directors, it's actors, it's humans who bring a product together in the entertainment industry. That's what's important. Dr. Casentini? Yeah, I think the main question, what happen if AI will surpass the human intelligence? And I think that's what happen in the future. So basically the main challenge would be how we can actually make sure that researchers, educators, companies, executives, engineers, can actually think twice before having their AI products the in the market. Important stuff here, Charlie. Yeah, just be careful. Anytime you do social media or anything, it's out there, and you may end up in a cheesy pizza commercial or something <laughs> that you don't want. Hey, listen, I got to say my final thought. You, it may be able to emulate human intelligence. It will never emulate the human spirit, and that's something that we should never lose. That does it for this edition of Let It Rip. The Let It Rip discussion continues online. Sound off on Facebook, Twitter, or Fox2Detroit.com.